communion Sundays, and I, my favorite thing about it is to watch each and every one of you as you, as you make your ways down the aisles. Um, it's just a beautiful thing, isn't it, to see one another. We all are different people with different backgrounds and different lives, and as I think about those of you I know well, I know that some of us are facing different trials and different struggles, and, and it's just amazing to see how we have what we need and we express that as we come forward and we eat this bread and we drink this cup. We say that Christ is enough for us, that despite our different journeys and our challenges and our struggles, this, this is where we find our spiritual food, this is where we find our hope, our life, it's in Him, and that's why we partake of this. And so I just love getting to watch everybody come down and, and just to see that no matter what, we share this common bond in Christ. So thanks for being here and blessing my heart just by partaking of this supper together. Um, last, this past week was, a, was a, a great week for me personally. Lexi and I actually had my parents in town on Thursday and Friday, they were taking care of Sydney for us while her daycare was, was closed. And so it was just a, a really great, great time to, to get to be with my folks. I don't get to see them a whole lot. And the older I get, the more thankful I am for the time that we get to, to spend with them. And so um, I'm coming, coming in here uh, just with a, with a grateful heart for the Lord's blessing in my life as it pertains to my folks. But also this week, on Friday, I was at lunch with, a, with my friend Prince, and we were talking a little bit, and I was telling him how Lexi and I met, he had asked me that, and it made me remember our first date, and uh, I'll never forget that date, because after running into each other for about, I don't know, a month or two, we, we, we were both studying at Crooked Tree Coffee House over in Uptown, um, I, thought, I decided that I was going to ask Lexi out, and figuring that I knew she liked coffee, I figured a safe bet would be to ask her out to a coffee shop. But I didn't want to ask her back to the same coffee shop, because that kind of seemed mundane or repetitive, so I asked her to go to Pearl Cup, which used to be over here on Knox Henderson. And uh, so we show up that day for our date, and it was really refreshing uh, what, was so, what was instantly so different was our conversation and our time together was a lot more open and honest and deep than I was used to when with somebody that I didn't know well especially on a first date you know on a lot of times on a first date you're kind of trying to put your best foot forward and only show your good side and your good stuff and kind of you're doing a lot of impression management and uh, it was so nice on this date like I felt like we were both just able to talk and be ourselves and not have to try to pretend to be something else. And Lexi really impressed me because she wasn't afraid to talk about who she was and her story, the good and the bad. And what was so beautiful about her to me was that I could tell that the reason she was so open and that she wasn't afraid to be honest about who she is and her story was that she knew deep down in her heart that God's grace is real, that he knows her deeply, but he also loves her deeply. And it was, it was just really powerful to, to get to see that in another person. And, and, and the, thing I, the reason why I share that is I was thinking this week, it really made me think about this, 
the title for today's sermon is Known and Loved by God. And it made me think about how we all really want to be known. Every single one of us, we really want to be known. We want people to know who we are. We want to be in relationship, in community with them. And we also need to be loved. We need people to affirm us, to accept us, to receive us without any conditions. And the problem, though, is that we're all broken, and that oftentimes we're really afraid to be known because we're afraid that people will see our junk and our sin and they might withdraw from us. And to add on top of that, we all have this experience of people that were supposed to love us that failed to do so, and they hurt us, and we've been wounded. And so, as a result of all of this, what I see in my own life, I struggle with this, but I see it in the lives of many, many people around me, the people I know closest, is that it's really hard to let people in and let them see exactly who you are and be known exactly as you are. And it's also hard to let people love you because we're so careful. We want to want to play it safe. And so some of us have even given up on this whole thing. We've given up on being known. We've given up on being loved. Thankfully, there is a way to be known completely. There's a way to be loved as we are because our Heavenly Father knows us that way. He knows us completely and He does love us exactly as we are. But the question I want to talk about today, the question I want to explore together is, why does God know us and love us? Why are we known by God? Why are we loved by Him? And we're going to look at Psalm 139 together. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip there. If you need one, there's a blue one there in the back of the pew in front of you. And we're going to look at a few verses in Psalm 139. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to jump down to 13 through 16. And then we're going to hop over to Romans 8 and look at verses 35 through 39 of Romans 8 to see why we are known by God and why we are loved by God. And as you find your way there, we're going to pray here briefly. And usually I ask you to stand with me as we read, but because we've got so many different texts today, I'm going to to go ahead and and, uh, ask you to stay seated after I pray, and, and we'll just read the text and and jump jump in. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the chance to be here this morning, the opportunity that you give us to come and be in your presence and with your people, to worship you, to direct our minds and our hearts, to direct all of us to the person of Jesus and his finished work on the cross for us as we have just celebrated in this meal. I pray that as we spend time in your word today, that you would continue to call us to yourself, that we would see you as you are, that we would understand who we are in light of who you are, and that you would give us the ability to to know how we are known by you and how we are loved by you. And I pray that this truth, that it would speak to our hearts, that it would encourage us, that it would be exactly what each of us need, regardless of where we are today, regardless of how we came in here. I know that for me and for each one of us, we desperately need to be with you. We need to hear from you. God, we live in a, in a day when there are 
thousands of messages being communicated to us, and so many of them distract us and they, they get us thinking all kinds of other things. Today, will you help us quiet our minds and our hearts, and will you help us to focus on you and what you have for us? Direct our minds, direct our hearts for the next few minutes together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read Psalm 139. This is verses 1 through 6. David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So these verses are incredible poetry, and I love the imagery and the language that David uses. He starts out in verse 1 by saying, you have searched me and known me. And this is way... This is David's way of saying, God, you know me inside and out. You know me completely. And that is true of us. Every single one of us, God knows us inside and out completely. He knows everything about us. You know, God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. What that means is that God knows everything, past, present, and future. And he even knows what is real and what is potential. And he knows all of that at the same time. And it's kind of crazy to think about a being being able to have complete knowledge like that, because we don't. We have such limited knowledge. But he knows all things, and when it comes to you, and when it comes to me, he knows everything there is to know about us. There's nothing in us that is a mystery to him. But what exactly does he know about us? These verses spell out a few things. In verse 2, God knows all of our actions. He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. And this is, a, this is a figure of speech called merism, where you take two opposite things, and it's used to describe or express completeness. So it represents everything in between these two things. So when he says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, he's saying, you know my actions here, you know my actions there, and all in between. You know everything that I do. So God knows the things that you do. He knows the things that I do. Even the things that we do in private, the things we do behind closed doors, the things that nobody else knows, God knows. And that's excellent accountability if we can remember that, right? Because a lot of us get in trouble when we think nobody's watching. He's watching. But what else does God know? Look at the second half of verse 2. David says, you discern my thoughts from afar. You discern my thoughts from afar. So not only does God know all of our actions, he also knows all of our thoughts. So some of you may be bored with the sermon right now. God knows that. Thankfully, I don't. (laughs) But he knows everything that we think. Everything. That is a crazy, crazy thought to me. But the other thing that I think this verse refers to is that God not only knows our thoughts, he also knows our motives. Because the Net Bible, they they translate this this phrase of this verse, even from afar, you understand my motives. 
You understand my motives. So God knows when we do something for our spouse, when secretly our motive is to get them to do what we want. I'm guilty of that one. He knows when we give and we're giving cheerfully, and he also knows when we're giving trying to get something in return. So when we, when we give, when we place our money in the offering plate, if we're doing that for any reason other than worship and gratitude and thankfulness, he knows. He knows. He sees through our motives. What else does he know? Look at verse 3. It says, You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. This is kind of similar to him knowing our actions, but he also knows everywhere we go. He knows all of our destinations, the places that we go. So he knows when we're in places that are good and places that honor him. He also knows when we've wandered from the path of righteousness and we're in places that we shouldn't be. He knows. And then in verse 4, he says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So God knows all of our words. He knows the things that we say. He knows when we use our mouth to bless people. He knows when we use it to curse people. He knows when we tell the truth. And he knows when we tell lies. He knows everything we say. And then there's one more thing that David lists in verse 5. He says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. And that's kind of an interesting word. I don't know that anybody here uses the word hem in their daily life. We don't talk about somebody hemming us in. So what does that mean? It's actually military language that talks about how God goes before us and he also comes behind us. And I, th- I think what he's talking about here is he provides protection for us. So what does that mean that God, what, what does God know if he provides protection for us? I think it also means that God knows our needs and he knows our weaknesses. He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows the areas where we are not strong and he comes to us and he provides for us what we need and he protects us. When you take all of this together, what it means as a grouping is that God knows us. He knows you. He knows me completely. As you see in all of this, there's not anything about us. There's nothing we think, nothing we do, nothing we say that is under God's radar. Nothing. So he knows us completely. And it's a lot to take in, really, when you think about it. Like these are things that, that when we think about God, we know that he knows all things. But when you think about specifically all these types of things, it's kind of a lot to take in, to think that somebody knows you that deeply. And David thought so, and that's why he responds in verse 6. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I think, to paraphrase that, David's like, this blows my mind. I I cannot even begin to grasp this. But why does God know us this well? Why does God know us inside and out completely? Look Look down at verses 13 to 16 with me. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. 
In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This, this passage is where the words for the song that the, that the kids sang earlier comes right out of this. And according to these verses, God knows us completely because he made us. He made us. The words David uses here, I'll list some of them. He says that he formed us, he knitted us together, he made us, and he intricately wove us. So when God made you, and when he made me, he didn't just carelessly put us together. These words describe thought, they describe intention and deliberation. God had a plan, a purpose with each one of us when he made us. I like to think of it this way. I think that God is a master artist, and he crafted us like an artist would craft a masterpiece. Think about Leonardo or Michelangelo, and you think of these great artists from the Renaissance era and stuff like that, or pick your favorite artist, and the way that they approach their craft with attention to detail and bringing something to life out of something that isn't there, that's the way God created us. And he had an exact purpose and plan. And that's freeing and it's life-changing when you start to embrace that personally. Because a lot of us don't believe that we have that kind of value and that kind of meaning. But we do, because our Father created us that way. And how do we respond to this? How do we... What do we do knowing that all of this is true about us? David responds in worship, and I think that's the way we should respond. Look at verse 14. He says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so, on one level, we could look at ourselves and see God's fine-tuning and his deliberate creation, his knitting us together, and we could assess ourselves and think about our giftedness and our abilities, and we could become full of ourselves, but that's not the right way to respond to this. The right way to respond to this is to realize that we aren't this way because of us, we're this way because of him. And so David says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's the right response for us too, is to turn in praise to our Father. Before we, we, we finish our time in Psalm 139, I want to look at verse 16 and talk about that briefly, because I think this verse is really encouraging. It says this, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I think this is one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. Because I don't know about you, but there are days in my life when I'm facing things and I'm dealing with struggles that feel overwhelming, they feel completely way too much for me. But to know that none of that surprises God, there's nothing that I face, there's nothing that you face that ever surprises God. Part of his knowing everything is knowing all of our life, start to finish before it ever came to be. To know that is radically comforting to me. That, that I, there, there's nothing that blindsides God. So when I get calls, when, when, I, when you or I get a call from a doctor with a bad 
prognosis or whatever, I'm not a doctor, I don't know the right words, diagnosis, prognosis, God knew that was coming. It didn't, it didn't surprise him. When something happens relationally, when there's a breakage in our family and all of a sudden somebody's not talking to somebody and we don't, we're caught in the middle or we go through different, difficult things like that, God knew that was coming. It didn't surprise him. And the reason why that encourages me is because I know that if I am under his care and if he is looking out for me and he knows all things, then he knows how to get me through this season that I'm facing. And the same is true for you. When these crazy big things that happen in our lives come, we can rest assured knowing that God is in control and he is going to see us through. He will give us what we need to weather whatever storm that we face. We don't have to fret. We don't have to fear. God knows. So God knows us completely. And he knows us completely because he made us. Now, all of this is really, really good news. But it could also feel like bad news. If you think about it, part of this passage and the reality of all of this truth is that God is aware of all of the bad stuff that's in our minds and in our hearts. And that can be a little intimidating, right? To know that God knows all of those things that you would never tell anybody else. All of those thoughts that you would never, ever let leave your mind, he knows. That is kind of unsettling. But because of who God is, it doesn't have to be. Because of his character, we don't have to be undone by that truth. If he was an evil, mean God who was out to strike us down, that would be very scary. But that's not who he is. He's a God of love. And as we look at Romans 8, we are going to see why we don't have to be discouraged by God knowing us this well. Look at Romans 8, 35 through 39 with me. So the Apostle Paul, is in this passage in Romans 8, he's asking some hypothetical questions in response to all, a lot of truth that he's been talking about, talking about who we are in Christ, what is ours because of Christ, as relation, relation to the future, our inheritance, and so forth. And then he, talks, he raises these questions, and then the fifth question he raises is in verse 35, and he says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're known completely by God because he made us. And in these verses we see that we are loved by God. And it's really important for us to understand something really quick before we walk through these verses. In verse 35, he asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And when he says love of Christ, he's not referring to our love for Christ, but Christ's love for us. Because our love for Christ is like the tide. It goes, rises and falls, right? 
It is unstable. But Christ's love for us is stable. It is constant. And that's what we're going to see in these verses. So how does Paul answer this question? What can separate us from the love of Christ? He throws out some possibilities in verse 35 as we read before. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Can these things separate us? No, they can't. And the interesting thing about this list that Paul gives is that Paul had experienced every single one of these things when he wrote this, except for the last one, the sword. The sword stands for execution. And at this time of writing, Paul had experienced all those other things. He had not experienced the sword, but as we know, he would later experience the sword. After he wrote this, he would be martyred for his faith. What's interesting to me is that in the midst of this passage on God's love, Paul then quotes Psalm 44, 22 in verse 36. In the midst of talking about all these bad things that could happen, he says, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now why in the world would he go take this psalm on persecution and drop it in this list? I think what he's doing here is he's recognizing that some people would wrongly conclude that if I'm loved by God, nothing bad will ever happen to me. God's love for me equals nothing ever bad happens in my life. And that's a really popular message. It's preached all over TV today. You could go home if you weren't here right now and you had TV on. I guarantee you there's probably some prosperity gospel preacher preaching something like that. If you're loved by God, your life will be great. He wants you to be happy and perfect and nothing will ever happen. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. But Paul does, knows that that's not true, and so he quotes this verse to say, these things will happen, and they indeed are happening. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are going through suffering. We are going through persecution. But his point is that even though we still have to suffer, it doesn't separate us from the love of Christ. It does not mean that we are beyond God's love. It doesn't mean that we have somehow made our way out from his blessing, out from his protection. It doesn't mean that. And then he explains why it won't separate us from the love of Christ in verse 37. He says, no, in all these things, all of these sufferings, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So rather than separate us from the love of Christ, our suffering actually is the way that we join together with Christ in his suffering and find victory. We experience his victory firsthand as we go through the different trials and the different difficulties, and we experience that God is with us. And then in those moments, we experience that his grace and his mercy are enough to carry us through and then we are victorious. So if we're going to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. He himself suffered. All the people who followed him in his day suffered like Paul, but their suffering did not tear them away from what really mattered, their eternal hope, their eternal security in Christ. And the same is true for us. So God's love for us does not mean that we will not have hard times, but what it does mean is that he will be with us in the hard times and he will use us to bring us closer to himself and then bring us to 
glory victorious with him. So back to Paul's question. Is there anything that can separate us from the love of Christ? In verses 38 and 39, this is what he says. He says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So his answer to the question, can anything separate us from the love of Christ, is no. Nothing can separate us. Not death, not life, nothing in the angelic realm, nothing on this life, no height, no depth. We may face all kinds of difficulty, but none of it will be able to tear us away from God's grip on us in his love because of Jesus. And then, if you're tempted to create your own list and ask, well, what about this? I don't see this in this list. Or what about that? I don't see this found here. Paul makes it very clear. He says, nothing nor anything else in all creation. Anything you can come up with, it cannot separate us. There's absolutely nothing. There's absolutely no one who can tear you from God's love if you are in Christ. We will stand firm. We will not be shaken. We will be secure because ultimately God's love for us is not tied to what we do for him, but what he has done for us. And we're going to see that specifically in Romans 5.8. We're going to see why God loves us this way, why God loves us unconditionally and eternally. And Romans 5.8, it says this, For while we, I'm sorry, let me jump down. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love for us is not able to be changed. We can't be separated from it because Jesus died for us and his death secured God's love over us. But I love this verse because it reminds us of who we were and where we were in relation to God when God did this for us. It says, while we were still sinners. And in other passages, you see the idea we were enemies of God. God chose to send Christ to die for us when we hated God, when we were shaking our fists at Him, when we had rebelled against Him. God, rather than giving us what we deserve in His mercy and in His grace, chose to send His Son to pay the debt that our sin had incurred. And because of Christ, because He took our punishment, because He died on the cross in our place, we can be forgiven. And those of us who have trusted in Him are forgiven. We're reconciled and we're brought near to God. And our filthy sin, our hearts that are riddled with all kinds of sin, are washed clean in Him. And our record that we have was nailed to the cross. We don't carry it anymore. That is why we're able to be loved unconditionally because our love, God's love for us is not based on us and what we do. It's based on Christ and what he already did. And you hear this message week in and week out from this pulpit and I will never stop preaching it to you because this is what our hearts need to hear. Because every week, I don't know what your life is like, but I know mine. Every week I fail to love God, to please him. And I am thankful and I come here rejoicing that I get to share in this table and remind myself that God is pleased with me because I have a Savior who does what I fail to do every single day. 
Thank God for his grace. Thank God that his love for me is unconditional because of Christ. Because God, when he sees me, when he sees you, those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, he doesn't see us and all of our sin. He sees Christ and all of his righteousness. And it's like a blanket that covers us. So God knows us completely because he made us. He loves us completely because Christ died for us. The question I have for you as we get ready to wrap up is will you rest in this reality that God knows you completely and loves you unconditionally? Will you rest in this reality? Because if you will, you don't have to, start, you don't have to continue trying to impress God. If we will, we don't have to worry about if our, if our rights and wrongs, you know, the balance of that, if our rights outweigh our wrongs. We don't have to worry about, am I doing more good than bad? We can rest knowing that Christ has covered us. We can rest knowing that we're known by God. And even though we don't measure up, He loves us anyway. You see, some of us in this room, I just know in a room this size, there's at least a handful of us that are bound by shame over our past. There's things that you've done, there's things that I've done, years ago maybe, maybe months ago, maybe weeks or days ago. But those things often bind us because we can't get them out of our mind. We think that we're defined by that action. But the reality is that we're not defined by our actions if we're in Christ. We're defined by His action and His victory. And the challenge for us is to let all of His life, death, and resurrection cover all of our life, every bit of it, and not worry about that thing that we did back then, but trust that it is covered by Christ's blood too. And when we think that we're defined by that thing, rather than the blood of Christ, we make a mockery of what Christ has done for us. We trample that. And so the challenge is to just take whatever it is that we're, we're letting dictate who we are and letting dictate how God, how we believe God sees us and feels about us, just bringing that and laying that at the feet of the cross and saying, I trust that by your mercy, by your grace, you don't see me because of this. You see me because of who Christ is and what he's done. And on the flip side of that, or in another, another way, I think one of the other ways that we struggle and we battle when it comes to understanding God's love for us is I think a lot of us are riddled with fear about the future. So some of us have shame about the past and we, we struggle with believing that the gospel covers that. But others of us look to the future with fear and we wonder if God's going to take care of us. We wonder if he's going to see us through the difficulty and the storms that we're facing. We wonder if he will provide for our needs today, for tomorrow. And if we will remember that God knows us, that he knows all of our days, that none of that stuff surprises him, and that he loves us unconditionally and that nothing can separate us from his love, we can be confident that no matter what the future holds, God loves us and he will see us through it and he has promised to bring us home safely, victoriously. So we don't have to face the future with fear if we will rest in these truths that we're known by our creator and we're loved by him unconditionally. These change everything. 
So the God of the universe, the one who created you, the one who created me, he knows you inside and out. He knows me completely. And he loves us unconditionally because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Are we going to let that truth dictate how we think and how we feel and how we understand God and our relationship with him this week? Are we going to keep looking to our own performance, our own fear? Are we going to get caught up in that? Are we going to rest in this reality that God knows us and loves us? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you give us your scriptures that communicate with clarity and with conviction that you are a God who knows us, you created us, you know us, you love us deeply, you love us unconditionally. We thank you that your, your word tells us that in multiple places, all throughout these pages, we see that you are a God who cares about those you have created. I pray for us today, God. I pray for my friends. I pray for myself. I know that this is hard to believe on Monday afternoon when we just fell into the same thing that we've been struggling with for the thousandth time. Or when Thursday afternoon somebody hurts us and somebody does something to us that completely wrecks our hearts. Or when sometime throughout the week we get horrible news that completely changes everything. It's so hard to believe that you are fully aware of everything that we're going through. And sometimes it is very, very hard to believe that you love us in the midst of the pain and the difficulty that we're facing. I pray that you would give us the gift of knowing that we're known completely by you and loved unconditionally by you. I pray for each one of us as we go out this week that this truth would stick with us, that it would stay in our hearts, that we would fall back on the gospel when we face the different challenges we face this week. We need your grace, God. Thank you that it is abundant. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection who have, that have made it possible for us to be loved by you this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's respond and stand together and sing Thank God for Jesus. Mm-hmm.